Have you ever found yourself wondering about how artificial intelligence and faith intersect? Here we talk about how emerging technologies can align with the flourishing of all life. My name is Elias Kruger. And I'm Maggie Fenner. And you are listening to the AI Theology Podcast, where faith and technology interact. Join us and expand your mind on topics like AI ethics, AI for good, guest interviews, and more. And our seventh episode is... Let's talk about the future, part two. Breaking into the future of scenarios. And if you guys remember last time, we talked about the future. We looked back where we were 20 years ago to, to speculate, looking forward, all as a means to start opening up the idea of how you think about the future. And the main reason why we're doing this is a way to introduce AI Theology's new book project. So, Ilias, can you tell us more about scenario planning? Before we, we start explaining what scenario planning is, um, let's talk about uh, one of the main challenges of even talking about the future, which is really that discussions about the future often spiral into a chain of speculation. Um, and, and you start thinking, what if this happened? What if that happens? And, and a lot of times it's simply us extrapolating one thing that we see now into the future. I mean, a great example of that right now, there's a lot of that going on with, with uh, chat GPT. Uh, some people really freaking out thinking, oh gosh, half of us are going to lose our jobs, right? So you're taking one factor and then you're extrapolating and you're making a lot of speculations. And the focus tends to be narrow, right? So in this case, oh yeah, chat to PT, that's the only thing that's going to affect the future, right? As if uh, there are other things that are happening that could that could change. Um, and, and that usually leads to frustration. Um, I mean, some people get excited about it. I mean, I, uh, honestly, I, I, I did get a little excited when I saw chat GPT coming up and the things you could do for those of you who for some reason are not aware of what chat GPT is it's just this new kind of AI chat tool that is amazing like can answer questions read code you know write letters to your loved ones and all kinds of stuff uh, so very interesting if you haven't you know, check it out uh, that's not what we're talking about today but I did figure out I'll bring that up uh, so anyways and and as you could see, a lot of conversations can lead into anxiety, frustration, or even pessimism. Like, oh yeah, that's, you know, humanity sucks. You know, things things are always going to get worse. Um, and um, the problem is that you know we're trying to force multiple uncertainties into one storyline. Uh, either we're you know following uncertain one uncertainty into one uh, storyline or focus on one thing. Or when when we look broadly, then there is the sense of you know just being totally overwhelmed. Uh, and usually, what comes up is a haphazard picture of what is come, what is to come, and and then we 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 then make arguments about how to get it right. In some cases, like well, we have to stop this, or we have to end this technology, or we have to you know. There's always some very uh, um, you know urgent and and usually not helpful extreme measure that needs to be taken. Let's put a pause on all that, right? And what if instead, instead of trying to focus on the future, right, based on one narrow thing, what if we start talking about the futures in plural, multiple futures? And that's really where scenario comes into the picture. When we talk about scenario planning, and, and that's why it is in plural scenarios, 
you know, we're talking about multiple futures. And that's kind of, again, a, a way to avoid the the chain of speculation and starting to think more in, in broader terms and more structured ways. That makes sense. Because even last time when we talked, we were just kind of looking back where we were 20 years ago and trying to think about the amount of changes. And as we were going through it, we hit so many things um, and I didn't really feel like we made too much progress. And then at the end result was I just really felt old um, at the <laughs> end of the, the, the session. But I like this idea uh, of scenarios um, as a way to add structure. Now, when we start looking and trying to unpack the ideas of scenarios, then what are we looking for to set that scenario up? Right. And and that's really so the next step. So we're thinking about scenarios. We need to think about macro drivers, right? Macro drivers are variables or themes that are broad enough to, you know, really be impactful. You know, they drive change. They really will be significant. But they also have to have a measure of being tangible. We, we have to find ways to demonstrate changes, not just qualitative, if possible, quantitative, but definitely qualitative changes, right? So that's where we start talking about macro drivers for every scenario planning, right? So again, we're moving away from unstructured uh, speculation to more structured thinking. So the first way is to create some parameters and macro drivers do exactly that. They kind of create some high level parameters on how to think about the future. So now the key is what macro drivers, right? And how do we get to them? Yes, Absolutely. Let's try the Socratic method, right? Let's take a step back. For those of you not familiar, Socratic method basically is like you get to something by asking a lot of questions. That's what got Socrates in trouble 2,000 years ago. Uh, hopefully won't get us in trouble, maybe get us some new knowledge coming up. Maggie, when you think about the future, what are the most important like high-level drivers you can think of? Basically, what is our future hinging on? Let me start. I'm looking for something that is both qualitative and quantitative. So let's start with technology. We know that it's both, uh, it's a focus of this podcast. We know that uh, it impacts our lives daily. So how would technology work as a macro driver? Well, technology is always a strong candidate. Honestly, a lot of the conversations about the future are conversations about technology. And, and usually what we mean by technology is what I like to call techno-capitalism. So basically, what are the gadgets that are going to be available in 2025 years? And, and we can see that, right? We can see why when we had that discussion about looking back 20 years and coming back to where we were, the biggest change that we could notice was we have very different tools and, and gadgets. Again, very tangible, very present in our lives. And so the temptation is always there to say, well, if we're going to do a macro driver, let's start with technology because obviously the future is about technology. The challenge there is that why I think technology kind of is not that great, even though it's so visual, is that it's not necessarily a primary uh, source. In other words, Technology is more a result of other things going on. While it's very visible and in some ways uh, measurable, right? Even though it's kind of hard to measure, we're thinking about what type of gadgets we get. Are we going to have 3D images or things like that, right? It, it gets hard real quick from a quali you know, quantitative perspective. But on the other is, I think we forget that technology is really a result of some type of thinking, uh, whether it's Silicon Valley type of thinking, whether it is, you know, how we solve problems through technical means and how technology is adopted is also a huge thing that is so hard to to, to think about right somebody could have thought about youtube or, or or facebook happening 
could they really imagine all of how they would be used and who would, um, you know, how many people would use it and, and what are the implications of that? So we quickly get into some places where um, uh, we get to that overload of information. So I would say that's why I, I, I would say, you know, technology, again, while very visible, probably not a good macro driver for, for this exercise. That makes sense. Um, now, if we're looking for something a little bit more fundamental, it takes money to create technology and keying off what you had said about technology being techno-capitalism. Let's take a look at uh, economics and see if that would work as a macro driver. Yeah, economics is huge. Um, feel like we're getting more to, to, to the crux of things. Um, if you uh, just understand how many decisions in our lives we made because of economics, right? It is almost that, uh, no pun intended, that unseen hand just so pervasive that we rarely uh, pay attention. But economics is, is a big thing. We, we make decisions at home. Uh, countries make decisions uh, based on economics. I would say there's nobody in government right now that does not care about GDP growth. Uh, maybe there's some, a few places in the world, but it is, it is so pervasive, right? And, and in many ways, yes, it drives everything. You can have a lot of great ideas, but if you don't have an economic system to uphold and uh, make those business happen, you won't have uh, a future, right? So economics is definitely more underlying. And, and here we go, it is very tangible, right? There's so many measures, uh, GDP growth, uh, unemployment, you know, all different measures from market, Gini around, you know, uh, Gini index. I'm starting to geek out here, but there's definitely a lot there from from a measurable perspective. Where it's challenging is when we start asking the question, is economics a primary source, a primary driver? And that's where I feel like economics starts failing a, a little bit because a lot of times economic conditions are the result of decisions, of natural disasters, of other things that are kind of uh, happening. And there might be social changes that are kind of moving things forward. That's where, while very measurable, very tangible, it's hard to say that it is a primary source. Uh, definitely, when there's an economic crisis, everybody pays attention and things change. But there's always a, a cause for that uh, a lot of times. And it could be come from many places. So um, I think from a, a macro driver perspective, economics is better than technology, more essential and, you know, kind of primary, but in other, uh, in other ways, also a, a bit more uh, not primary enough, right? They're still secondary to other things. I think that makes sense. Now, if I'm looking for something a little bit more primary, I'm going to try something a little different here. Sure. Um, because when I think about economics... The first thing I pops in my brain, not sure about other folks, is societal structure. Perhaps social change could work. So I think that within social, the construct of social change, it is quantifiable. It seems to be a little bit more structural, but it's quantifiable. There are things that will, you know, measure the incidences of hate speech online. There are places that keep track of how many, uh, the percentage of females within um, corporate structures, uh, stuff like that to see social change. So I think there might be some things, ways in which so, uh, societal change would work, but love to hear what you'd have to say about that. Yeah, so social change is a great example, right? Social change could encompass so many things, but it, it has to do with how societies are organizing themselves differently, thinking about themselves differently, it gets into morality. It gets into kind of how 
how we look at the family unit, how we look at relationships. It's definitely a broad area. When I think about societal uh, changes, uh, I think a lot about, you know, as a measure of demographics, uh, there is this adage that says demographics is destiny, you know, and why is that? Because we can predict a lot by simply paying attention to birth rates and mortality rates, right? Especially when we're looking at the future, we, we know who's going to live there, at least who's born today, right? We know the people of a certain age are going to be around. So we understand how many people are being born today, how many people are dying. So there's a lot that can be done there from a measurability perspective. And in some ways, it's, it's, it's primary uh, as well. Uh, so social change, it changes uh, economical, uh, impacts economics, impacts a lot of different things. Part where I think social change kind of falls short is that it is so hard to pinpoint on one specific thing, right? Because remember, while we can have measurements, we're still looking for a macro driver, something that we can say low or high. And then so when you talk about social change, um, it, it's just a little harder to to think about in this in this range from from low to high social change can encompass so many things that it it gets difficult to put it into that level even though again it's very primary in some ways but it just gets hard to be tangible uh so it's almost like uh in this case we're, we're looking for for maybe how social change manifests itself through more tangible ways and again i i think we're Every one that you said is, is getting better and better. I think we're getting really close here, um, but we're not quite there because we, we needed to be a little more measurable, a little more uh, focused. I think that makes sense. So let's just recap. Talk about technology. We liked it for a macro driver because it's very visible, very tangible. Um, but where it kind of fell short was it wasn't actually a primary driver. It was mm -hmm. the result of many other things. Then we talked about economics. So economics drives technology. So is that the driver? Um, again, economics, very persuasive, super quantifiable. We have all sorts of everything. Um, but again, when we started looking at uh, whether it's a primary or secondary driver, it's mm -hmm. probably not a primary driver because it's the result of many other variables that are leading into it. Last, what we just looked at was social change. And again, um, very tangible, broad, lots of data with demographics, et cetera. However, because of that mass quantity of data, it was almost like there's too much data right. um, that gets too specific too quick. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you're looking yeah. at life and mortality rates, you're going to go in a lot different direction than if you were looking at the incidence of hate speech, for example. Now, mm -hmm. what would we say about just politics in general then? Ah, okay. Now I think we, we're getting really close with some, some qualification. We've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, so here's why I think politics actually is definitely much better than all, all the ones that we've talked about. First is it is pervasive. It is everywhere. Second is it's very measurable in, in, in many ways. We can, we can look at elections. We can look at platforms. We can look at policy. The thing that politics brings that maybe none of the others does is themes. And it's very, dis you know, it's easy to describe in some ways. It can create powerful narratives in a way that you know, maybe social change or economic conditions cannot. In some ways, politics is influence and influencing economics and social change. So, for example, when, when social change is changing, when, let's say, people's views of, of marriage or relationship is changing, that eventually makes its way to politics. 
and then it kind of solidifies it and, and then it becomes the law of the land and then more change kind of happens um so in some ways politics is is not totally primary but it is a good um uh, it's primary enough and, and it is measurable enough to create those narratives the only addition i would say for politics is that we shouldn't think politics we often think about national politics local politics but we are looking for something that is global we look we're looking for things that can really explain not just things happening in the us but also you know brazil or china uh, russia right it, it has to be more global and it can't just be about who won the next election for president. That's where I want to add the qualifier geopolitics. Uh, the word geo from Latin meaning, you know, earth. And then geopolitics has really to do more with the relationships between countries, how they decide policy based on what the other one is doing. There's a lot of game theory involved. And it's very narrative driven. That's what I, I like about it. So a, a few years ago, in around 2016, The Economist put out this fantastic article talking about the new political divide. And we'll, we'll put a link on our notes. What basically was saying is that we were moving away from a, a time where uh, it was about you no know, left and, and right or, you know, socialism and capitalism. And it was really more about globalism and nationalism. And honestly, you know, there was a few months before uh, uh, the election of, of Trump and a little after Brexit. So it was right in the beginning signals where nationalism started to come up. And of course, in the years since we've seen uh, presidents being elected or, or parties being in power that had more of a nationalistic bent, um, and then also the move towards more uh, cooperation and and kind of internationalism. So again, what I love about it is that there's such a, a strong narrative there. There's a range, right? We can go on one end, high would be, you know, a lot of cooperation nationalism is like all countries looking for their own you know benefit and that in itself can really set up good macro drivers so our, our first macro driver here is geopolitics and more specifically right if we want to be even more narrow just how countries are willing to cooperate with each other uh, as opposed to just focus on their own interest every nation is going to do a little bit of both but when we think about broadly where is that going uh, from a global perspective? Are we moving more towards cooperation or isolation? Uh, so again, that's that's our first macro driver. That's awesome. And it makes total sense. So now we need one more macro driver. Mm -hmm. And if we look for something that is both tangible, um, something that's a primary driver and not a result of other items. I'm wondering, maybe we could go with something like climate. Yes, no, absolutely. That's a great uh, macro driver. Climate has to do with the ground that we sit in, right? We, we tend to think about ourselves as humans. We make all the decisions. Uh, we drive politics. Uh, everything is is uh, about us. Now we're starting to realize that the earth in itself is providing a feedback around what we're doing and that we can't really control certain things. It really goes to the next level of this is the ground that we're sitting in. And of course, another thing, obviously, we do know that we, we have a lot of concerns about climate, climate change, climate catastrophe. And that brings us to the other part, which is it's very measurable. The discussions about climate change hinge around this whole idea of the 1.5 degree change, right? We have a goal that we don't want Earth to um, be 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer 
than it was, I believe, 1950. So there's a there's it's a measure, and that 1.5 degree packs a lot of punch. There's so much to it because you know to keep it at 1.5, there's so many things that need to check need to happen from a economic, political, social change. It just impacts everything. So in some ways, it's very primary. It's almost like I would say primal, right? It, it is like beyond just human. And on the other hand, uh, is also very measurable. So a fantastic macro driver would be climate. Now we have two macro drivers. We have geopolitics and climate. Now what do we do with those? Yeah. So that's where the scenarios come in, which I think it's, it's very interesting. And Hanging there with me, I'm going to have to paint a picture with with words. Uh, we'll probably have some visuals uh, on the link. But if you're just listening to that, just, you know, I, I want you to imagine basically a, a graph, right? That has two lines, one that goes up and down and the other one that goes right to left. And let's talk about that up to down, up and down as y-axis. And let's say that that is going to cover our climate macro driver, right? So, uh, and the bottom would be low, meaning... Climate hasn't changed very much. Uh, it's less than 1.5 degrees. We're doing a good job. And then high is like, no, climate <laughs> grows and it's, 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 it's bad. We're not, you know, uh, I, I like to call it the low being the green future and the top being the brown future. So the one, the bottom, for whatever reason, we did a little better. We did better than we thought. And, and it's greener, you know, that's the green future. And then the brown is like, we really fell short. Things got worse. And, and, you know, the climate's worse, right? Okay, I think I'm following you. Um, so it's kind of like almost, I think I've heard these called like two by two matrixes, matrices. Yes. Or mm -hmm. like if you're looking at like a, a stock or a mutual fund, you can see a risk reward profile yes. um, with these four different quadrants. Okay, followed you. Exactly. Yeah. And then on the other side, you would have macro, sorry, geopolitics, right? Where you would have the level of cooperation. So one is more nationalistic, focus on nations and the other one is more international focus on cooperation right now with these um you know that's why they have quadrants right so there's four uh, alternatives and then they they are really playing with the alternation of what if we have you know a green future that's more nationalistic what if we have a brown future there's more you know globalist right and what does that look like so now all of a sudden we created this very uh, rich range of things for the future. And the idea is to really think about each scenario separately, right? As if it was a future. Keep in mind, we're not trying to predict it. And those scenarios are probably going to be more to the extreme sides because they're there to show us, okay, if, if we don't do this or if we do this, this is where it's going. The real future is probably going to be somewhere in between. It's not going to be in any of the quadrants. But by forcing ourselves to go to those places, we paint a very wide picture. And now we have a wide space to talk about the future. That makes sense. It seems like it's it's introducing your framework. You have some constraints. You have criteria. Um, and all of that ultimately is going to serve as the foundation for the new AI theology book project, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the idea is to, so our first step is really creating these four scenarios based on on each of you know these macro drivers and then so for example in one case would be what is a global green scenario so that's a scenario where we did better with, with climate change and we're cooperating more well, what does that look like and then, and then describing that right so we're going to describe those scenarios separately so that in the next step right so obviously we don't want to just 
write a book and send everybody, hey, look at this beautiful four scenarios and be done with it. Uh, but more about how, uh, and then we're going to build stories within those scenarios. So the scenarios are really just the background to stories because we believe that fiction is really what captures the attention, right? That makes sense. And I will say that I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, seems like it gives you a very, very fertile ground uh, for storytelling and keeping a consistent um, structure in the background. Well, we reached the end of our episode, but this conversation doesn't have to end here. So join our community and don't miss out on these discussions. And you can join us in conversation uh, on Instagram, Facebook, both at AI Theology. And most importantly, listen to us. Feel free to follow us, rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. Thank you.